This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, to another episode of Rocks to Roots, the Conservation Conversation podcast. I'm your host, Hillary, and joining me today is Brennan Pointer. Hello, how's it going? The one and only. (laughs) How's it going, Hillary? (laughs) It's going good. I saw you just took a fun little trip to LA. I did, yes. Got got to be in the sun, go to a concert, a bunch of museums. It was great, yeah. Got some of that California sunshine, then you got to come back to the snow. <laughs> exactly, yes. It's, but, you know, I like the snow. It's beautiful outside. Yes. Yeah, it looks great. Minus the driving. Like, yeah. this, the driving is kind of a wreck here in Spokane sometimes. Yes, <laughs> I know. It's always a hit or miss. And, yeah, hopefully everybody is driving safe. Everybody gets home safe today. And we're off to a great holiday season with a little bit of that snow on the ground. Um, well, we are wrapping up season three of the Rock Roots podcast, and today we have a very, very special guest with us. We have Amanda Parrish, the director, executive director for the Lands Council. So thank you for being here, Amanda. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, um, so let's just kind of jump into it and tell us a little bit about your background and how you first got started with the Lands Council. Yeah, um, I studied environmental science at the University of San Francisco for my undergraduate degree. And in 2008, I graduated. And the day after I graduated, I moved from San Francisco to Worley, Idaho. Nice. Um, I had a job with the Coeur d'Alene tribe, a seasonal job, and was their um, forestry technician. So I sort of just wandered around a forest and really enjoyed my time there, learned a little more about the region. And then after that, got a job as an AmeriCorps member with the Lands Council in 2009. Awesome. So how did that experience working for the tribe really play into you um, then moving and getting a job with the Lands Council? You know, I um, really, really enjoyed my time working with the Coeur d'Alene tribe. I learned so much about what the tribe does for the community um, and what their priorities are and just the, the respect that they have for the land. And um, we were able to take language classes in the Coeur d'Alene language. We celebrated Water Potato Day with local schools. I mean, it really it brought such a connection to this place for me. And so after, um, after my seasonal job ended there, I really wanted to stay in the area. I had made some friends and, and heard about this opportunity at a nonprofit called the Lands Council. And uh, 13 years later, I am leading the organization as executive director. Very cool. So what was your job um, position when you first started with Lands Council? I started as the volunteer coordinator Okay. as an AmeriCorps member. Um, but during my time there, I uh, my supervisor was Brian Walker, who's now a biologist with U.S. Fish and Wildlife um, and is stationed here at Turnbull Wildlife Refuge out in Cheney. Um, he worked at the Lands Council at the time and was my supervisor. And we had just started our beaver program. And so we, um, at the time, we hadn't done any relocations. We were just studying the water storage potential of beavers. And so because I had had sort of a background in 
water quality science um, in my undergrad, Brian really um, mentored me in sort of the beaver program, knowing that he was going to be moving on from the lands council and, and working at Turnbull soon. And so uh, even though I was volunteer coordinator in those early years, I actually spent a lot of time driving all around Northeast Washington, searching for beaver dams, getting in them with my waders, measuring the depths of them. I mean, it was, it was a really fun AmeriCorps stint. That's awesome. And we just, um, on our last episode, had Brennan's um, sister-in-law, who works for Beavers Northwest. So we learned a ton from that episode, sitting down with her. Um, and then also, I know that you guys just recently had a project featured in The Spokesman, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about that a little bit later um, in the episode. But I did hear that you may have taken some of those beavers home with you. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. So um, after studying the sort of water storage potential of beavers in the sort of inland northwest, uh, in 2010, we started the actual beaver relocation program. And so as part of that, you know, we wanted to trap uh, the whole, we wanted to relocate the whole family together because beavers are such a sort of um, family-oriented rodent, (laughs) Um, if you will. And so we needed a holding facility like all beaver relocation groups do. And that first holding facility was in my backyard here (laughs) in the Perry District in Spokane. That's awesome. Yeah. So they were, they were backyard beavers for a while. (laughs) How cool. Well, yeah. So I'm excited to talk more about that project a little bit later in the episode. Um, but so, can you kind of just give us a brief history of the Lands Council and how it um, formed here in Spokane? The Lands Council was formed by a group of physicians from Sacred Heart in in 1983, and so this was kind of the era of major clear cuts in the national forest. And so, at the time, I think this this group of doctors was looking around them and seeing just this, this devastation happening in all the sort of natural um, uh, national forest areas mm-hmm. in the Inland Northwest. And so originally we were called the Inland Northwest Public Lands Council and oh. at some point changed our names to the Lands Council. That's uh, probably for the best. <laughs> um, but we we really wanted to sort of fight against these clear cuts and that's, and that's mm-hmm. how we started. And we, you know, went from really opposing the timber industry to forming some of the nation's first forest collaboratives, including the Northeast Washington Forestry Coalition. And so now we we just we want to find mutually respectful solutions. We recognize that this is an industry um, that's really important to our region. Trees are a renewable resource. Um, we just want to see it managed appropriately, and we want to see these areas that the Northwest is known for these these beautiful forests right. um, that are, you know, home to such amazing wildlife and, and, and the water quality that that supports and the headwaters of, of, of you know, our aquifer, mm-hmm. um, that, that all of that is important and that we can find and that everyone agrees that that's important and we can find solutions working together better than we can opposing one another. And so that's sort of where, where the Lands Council is now in terms of public land management. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's really important, and I know that um, you keep that theme of working together with um, the people that you work in these lands and making that a mutually beneficial relationship um, across all of your work. So so who do you primarily work with on preserving these lands? So um, for public lands... We work a lot with the Forest Service. You know, mm-hmm. the, those 
the, the Forest Service manages a lot of the public land in the area. We also work with the Department of Natural Resources, and we work with the local tribes. Um, especially right now, we're working with the Kalispell tribe on a few projects. Um, and then we've also sort of grown our urban focus over time um, to respond to sort of more environmental justice needs in, in sort of the population center where a lot of people are in our region. Mm-hmm. And so um, we... You know, we work everywhere from the really rural areas that are managed by the National Forest to um, working with smaller farms um, and smaller farmers to do sort of riparian restoration in and around Spokane and then working with um, even just private homeowners for our Spokanopy program, which is an urban canopy program. Awesome. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about... Um the Lands Council, your operations, your staff, and some of those programs that you guys facilitate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're a, a pretty small staff. We're a, around eight or nine staff members, depending on um, the year and, and the programs we're working on. Operationally, we have program staff from the Public Lands Program Director and the Restoration Program Director. Um, we have a restoration coordinator as well. That's that's a big part of what we do is the the revitalization of these areas and the restoration of these areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also need to keep an eye on policy and recognize that a big way that we can change um, sort of the future of our region and, and best protect these natural resources is by the, the policies that we're implementing now. And so mm-hmm. operationally, I, I think we really split our time between keeping an eye on you know, whether it's a statewide bill or a local initiative, um, we, we, we work in that realm while we also do on-the-ground projects, and, and we try to keep a balance of that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some listeners who just might, you know, just be finding out about the Lands Council, um, can you give us an example of kind of of like a policy that instigated change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a policy that we support. <laughs> or that you or, support, yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, there, there are a few examples, and maybe I should back up further and say the Lands Council is a 501c3, so we're, okay. you know, a nonprofit. We're, we're just, we don't have um, other affiliates. We're just based here in the, the inland northwest region. You know, it's just the eight of us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the... Like, in the past, we have advocated for new Washington state legislation around beaver management. And so a few years ago, uh, which now that I'm thinking about it is probably more like 10 years ago, <laughs> uh, I worked with um, with uh, House Representative Joel Kretz on a beaver management bill that, you know, was sort of working across party lines to really try to promote the use of this animal as an agent of restoration, mm-hmm. recognizing the the... the ecological benefits that come with having beaver on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have, you know, worked to oppose uh, local ballot initiatives that crop up that um, most recently uh, we were in the news because we challenged the legality of a potential ballot initiative that would have banned the city of Spokane from ever regulating natural gas in construction and any sort of natural gas hookup. And Mm. um, so sometimes we keep an eye on things because we need to oppose something that we don't think, uh, you know, helps us achieve our mission of um, 
mitigating the negative effects of climate change or, mm. you know, preserving water quality or water availability for future generations. Sometimes we're promoting new legislation. Sometimes we're, um, we're signing on in support of, you know, a, an initiative that another group has put forward. Mm. So it really depends on what's, what's come up in the region. And that's why we need to have our team sort of focused on keeping an eye on that policy mm-hmm. Um, being a part of work groups. And so I've worked with a lot of folks here at the Spokane Conservation District for 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been attending monthly meetings together on different sort of water availability or water quality topics. And I think that's an important way that we just sort of stay aware of what our community needs. Because mm-hmm. that's what the Lands Council is here to do, is is hear from the community what's important um, what are the what are the regional problems or uh, biomimetic solutions that we should be promoting for maybe regional problems? The Lands Council can step in and do that. It, it sounds a lot like you're advocates for, I mean, for our environment in Spokane. But is is that the primary your primary goals? Is like backing up those initiatives and things like that? Like you don't do you you don't introduce new bills or anything like that, or you? Do any writing like that? Do you? We we have in the oh, past. Okay. Um, you, you know the, the the Beaver Bill that I talked about was actually something that that we wrote with with Representative awesome. Fritz. And actually, at the time, um, the we had a board member at the time who actually worked as a lobbyist who mm-hmm. helped sort of pro bono on that. And his name is Neil Beaver. Ah! <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> that works out. And so it uh, it was a pretty I don't know. Funny headline for a while, Neil Beaver and the Beaver Bill. That's funny. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you guys are a 501c3. So um, how how is your organization funded? Because um, you do have employees and you yeah. guys are doing work on the ground. We're, uh, we're funded about 50-50. Half of that comes from state or federal grant programs. Okay. Um, so that are you know, sort of reimburse quarterly. And this is the really boring financial part that I won't get into. And the other half is probably, um, is, is a mix of either private foundations, uh, small individual gifts, large individual gifts, um, but sort of those, those private donations. Awesome. And, um, I thought I also saw that you guys do have, um, like a, at least a nice, um, fundraising event once a year, an annual fundraising event. Me Tell too. us about that. Yes, we have our annual fundraising event called April Showers, which is normally um, uh, an in-person auction. I think we've been we've been doing it for over twenty years. Uh, it hasn't been in person in a couple of years, like so many events. Um, but I, we are hoping to have an in-person event this April. The date has not been set yet, but it will be a Saturday in April. Um, and that's a pretty large fundraising event for us and a pretty social event. We usually have about 350 people attend. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fun, fun auction, I think. Great. Well, our listeners will have to keep that in mind as we continue on and they learn more about you through the episode. So, um, how would you say the business model for the Lands Council has changed, um, in recent years and just how have you guys grown, you know, let's say just even over the past decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's so many different external pressures that, that make you grow. Uh, so, you know, recently we've all responded to COVID. Um, mm-hmm. And, 
you know, it looks like some of those those responses that we thought were maybe temporary are actually maybe going to be the new norm. And some of them, I think, are for the better. For for instance, we, I think in our region, we're known as the group that can really get volunteers out. Mm-hmm. Um, people know about us. People want to spend time planting a tree. They want to spend time cleaning up the Spokane River. And they really look to the Lands Council for for how to participate in those events. So in the fall, we have Reforest Spokane Day. Um, in the in the spring, we always have an Earth Day tree planting. And we'll usually have hundreds of volunteers come out to these these events and because of covid we had to start doing that in shifts and Mm -hmm. that's turning into a much better model actually so we'll kind of keep it so that people can come throughout the day to come plant a tree and and really be a part of those events i think it's more flexibility for families to get involved on on those like one day events um that's that's a that's a covid transition but i also think we've been working in general to sort of solidify our internal standard operating procedures um you know, we're almost 40 years into our organizational history, and I really want to make sure that we're around for another 40 years. Yeah. I think it's so important to have a group that is really just based in the region that they serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that type of nonprofit is more rare these days than ever before. And so I really, uh, we're working now to, to really make sure that we're sort of... Um, we're poised to grow as needed, I'd say. Yeah. That's great. And in terms of like programs or um, anything new in just say the last decade? Yeah, actually, right now, um, we're about to hire a climate justice program director. Oh, that's exciting. Which is going to be a brand new, well, um, a, a new position we've had in the past. Laura Ackerman um, has worked on uh, a lot of clean energy initiatives that the Lands Council, you know, has supported or opposed. Um, and uh, Laura retired this year. And so we're, we're able to, after working on that initiative that I sort of alluded to about this, this ballot initiative that would have banned natural gas regulation and, and getting sort of more involved in this, um, the, the work that's happening for a, a, a just transition to, uh, away from fossil fuels into clean energy and, um, we saw that our community here in Eastern Washington and Northern Idaho, like people really want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. People want to, 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 to do something individually to mitigate, you know, their, their greenhouse gas emissions, their carbon footprint, whatever, whatever frame you want to use for it. But, but there's a lack of, um, maybe just, just, a paid person to take, (laughs) I don't want to say a lack of leadership because I don't want to, there's so many people that have volunteered to work on this issue, but no one's been able to make a living from this. And I think in 2021, in 2022, I'm really excited that the Lands Council is able to have a full-time position of someone to, to work in this space and to to, to listen to our community, um, especially those that are most impacted by these climate change effects. Um, you know, after the UN's latest report on climate change, it's so clear that it's only really coordinated effort mm-hmm. um, that's going to make a difference. And so I'm just so excited for, for this person to come on and for this asset for our, for our whole community. So that's a really, that's a, that's a new, exciting project for the lands council yeah absolutely and um yeah and 
Well, I'm interested to learn more about the jobs position. So kind of just tell us, like, what will the scope of their work kind of look like? You know, it's it's a really good example of what we've been talking about, which is um, spending about half their time doing that sort of policy watch or or Mm -hmm. however you want to phrase that. But sort of we need to keep an eye on what's happening at a state level, at a national level, but but also at a local level. Um, What and have this person sort of recommend what should the lands council be supporting? What is the community, you know, um, where do they want to invest in reducing greenhouse gas, gas emissions? Mm-hmm. Um, and this person's going to have to keep an eye on that policy and do the work. And so find an on the ground project to work on, um, I don't even know what that could look like because we're in the interview stage right now. Mm-hmm. And I've even told the candidates, um, <laughs> this job description is perf- purposely vague because so much of it will be informed by the conversations you have in the community. Because again, this position yeah. really belongs to all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. And it's going to be um, great to just kind of see that person and whoever it is and just see that position grow as yeah. well. So congratulations on introducing that. That's awesome. Um, okay, so let's kind of jump into um, this beaver analog project that you guys did out at Thompson Creek, which is over um, in Newman Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us um, just how that project got started, um, you know, how you guys fulfilled the project, and then what you're looking to see come out of the project as well. I, I, honestly, I think the project got started because of some of the meetings that I attend with other folks from the conservation <laughs> district <laughs> um, and the conservation district here in Spokane, I know is working on a, a septic system mm-hmm. replacement project on Newman Lake. And from um, the work that y'all are doing there, I think Lindsay Chudis kind of told us, um, Hey, there's a property owner that owns, you know, a lot of Thompson Creek, which is, you know, to the north of the lake and, you know, comes into Newman Lake. It's actually a major phosphorus source. I think around the same mm-hmm. time, the Department of Ecology had, was uh, finishing an update on um, sort of a water implementation plan for that watershed and and saw that Thompson Creek actually is a major source of phosphorus to Newman Lake. And um, that's kind of how it started. And so we were able to get a grant through the Department of Ecology, the Washington State Department of Ecology, um, through their 319 program to do riparian restoration. So I'm, most yeah. of the listeners, I'm sure, know riparian is the streamside area. <laughs> yeah. um, and as part of our riparian restoration, we want to incorporate these beaver dam analogs, or BDAs as we call them, in most of our riparian restoration. So Thompson Creek, um, we just completed the installation of of a, a series of these along almost a full mile of the creek. It's oh, pretty wow. exciting. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, and I know that you have um, a good relationship with Gonzaga, mm-hmm. and so you had some Gonzaga students involved. Tell us a little bit about that partnership. Yeah, this is fantastic. So the um, uh, Dr. Sue Nisgoda is in the engineering department at Gonzaga, and uh, her students every year use our, the Lands Council's um, BDAs as their sort of – you know, senior project to do. So they, so they look at sort of the, um, they do some rough hydrological modeling and, um, 
show where we're going to put these um, different types of BDAs. There's sort of starter dams. There's different sizes to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're taking into account sediment loads. They're taking into account like any road that might be downstream. And so it's a really great partnership to have these engineering students get some real world experience um, and have the lands council sort of leverage this resource within our community. We don't have, you know, to have a staff member who's able to do that. We can work with the local university to make those plans and have the Department of Ecology sign off on it. So the best thing about working with GU for this is that we are, um, they were able to um, actually design a QAPP to do a water quality uh, research project. So we're actually, we took before, the installation of the BDAs. We were able to take water quality samples to look at total phosphorus. We're going to look at that again afterward, and that should be able to really inform statewide the Department of Ecology. Mm-hmm. Like, that could change the use of BDAs as a best management practice in our state, in our region, in our country. Like, we're adding to that sort of conversation through this data. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And so does the Lands Council still have a beaver program right now? We do. We just don't have a holding facility right now. So it actually might um, uh, be full circle and come back to my backyard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, One of the things that, that we have realized by doing this project, you know, for over 10 years is that we, beavers, are still important sort of agents of restoration, but we're not getting the best bang for our buck by doing the actual relocation work. It's policy that would drive that, um, and it's using these BDAs, uh, because when you do relocation, there's no guarantee. I mean, that's still sort of, um, that that's a last-ditch effort to to keep the habitat benefits on the landscape. If you're moving a beaver family from one area really far to another, there's no guarantee that it's going to stay there. It doesn't have immediate shelter. It could be predated. It could be trapped. So relocation isn't really um, the best tool in the toolbox, Mm. Um, but it plays an important function of getting the public excited, um, getting people to interact sort of closely with an animal you know, and, and, and being involved in that process and, and what it's done in a humane way when it's done really because, um, uh, you know, the, the, for whatever reason, the only alternative is um, extirpation, then it makes sense. But it's a, it's a big time resource for our staff to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's better done by like Beavers Northwest by the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, you know? So yeah. I think it's something that the Lands Council often does, which is um, look at a solution like beavers or like when um, when we look at oyster mushrooms and their ability to break down PCBs or polychlorinated biphenols. When we look at um, biochar as a, as a, fuels reduction technique or a carbon sequestration thing we're looking at all these solutions and saying you know we think there's a value here and we want to see how it works in the inland northwest we want to see what the regional variables are whether it's an agency that has a policy that's wonky that needs to be revised whether it's a um 
you know, just like resource for biochar. It's like the, the fuel load has a lot of pine needles. So how do you get the smoke point lower? Whatever those regional obstacles are, the Lands Council, because we're sort of a scrappy nonprofit and we, <laughs> we don't have a lot of um, like other affiliates, we and our eight person staff can get on the grounds and try out this application right away and see what the obstacles are and sort of overcome them and share that with all of our partners and other stakeholders and allow other people to sort of take that on as, you know, as depending on the solution, like there's different agencies that might take that on. So Mm -hmm. um, I think we do that really well. And we're continuing to do that with, with the Beaver program. That's great. Um, So let's talk about some of um, your other ongoing and current projects that you guys are working on right now. What else is going on? Well, I talked a little about the Spokanopy program, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's a pretty exciting uh, partnership that we have with the city of Spokane. So the city of Spokane has a goal of 40% canopy cover by 2030. And so to help the city reach this goal, we um, sort of co-created this program called Spokanopy. So um, we're able to go into neighborhoods that have the lowest tree canopy um, and hire um, maybe even in- interns from within that neighborhood to go and do door-to-door outreach and work with, um, it, it doesn't even have to be homeowners. It can be people, you know, renting the property. We, we, we try to be really flexible with what we're offering, which is free street trees. And we're talking large trees right away, you know, that would normally cost someone $200 mm-hmm. um, and, you know, four hours of hole digging. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. And, uh, and, and, and if the city were to do this on their, on their own, you know, it would really exceed the city's urban forestry budget. So again, we're sort of, we're looking at the need in our city, which is, you know, we want more trees in Spokane. We need more of an urban canopy cover. And there are certain neighborhoods that are unjustly, you know, affected by this lack of canopy cover. Mm-hmm. And and they have told the city, we want street trees. We want the same maintenance that, you know, other neighborhoods have. Um, and the Lands Council is able to step in and say, okay, well, we have staff that can help with that. And we are really great at getting volunteers because the people know about the Lands Council. So not only do we have staff, but we can get volunteers to come out and really help um, if we did this planting in just like a, a, a one-week timeline. I bet we could, you know, get this done with the help of a few hundred people. So mm-hmm. that's a really exciting program. Very um, cool. Yeah, and I think it has a lot of implications too as we sort of look together as a community to how we're going to, face the changing climate it mm-hmm. was you know 60 degrees on december 1st <laughs> oh it is crazy it's wild yeah that canopy is just so important for a number of different reasons mm-hmm. so that's exciting yeah it was the hottest june on record here mm-hmm. and I, I mean the real i just can't overstate the importance of if you had a really healthy mature tree in front of your home that would really make a difference when it's 113 degrees outside in the summer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the goal is to be at 30% citywide. Like, is that like an 40%, average? 40%. Four, oh, 40%, sorry. Yeah. So like in, but like, that's not, not every area needs to get to that level. But right. like, so it's just, it's about putting more trees in the places that they aren't. It's like in, for example, Nevada. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like just looking at this map right now, is just like, it's, you definitely see why, where this canopy does not exist. And it's where everyone 
where all the houses were built. Like, uh, well, is that is that that's the biggest problem? Like yeah. if from like the 1950s, and people just. I mean, it's it, it, the there's a um, term called redlining that mm. that's um, I think more people are getting familiar with it, and I am going to try to explain it as best I can. <laughs> um, but this idea that. Uh, up until a few decades ago, you know, maybe one or two generations ago, even that um, certain areas of cities um, would have homes that would exclude the sale of those homes to people of color. Mm, Um, And so, and so that's what you're seeing is these, and so those, and so those um, areas that had those exclusions often have are better maintained have trees that were planted at that time have homes that are just you know were um higher quality mm-hmm. and so and so when you overlay a map of those historic sort of redlining districts and you overlay a canopy cover map there's um it's not a coincidence to see that there's a really low canopy in the in the areas where basically um, historically, that would be the only area where people of color were able to purchase a home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's why even we, with a job title for our new staff member, we're calling it climate justice program director because it's it's addressing those environmental injustices where we're trying to address um, climate change in an equitable and just way. Mm-hmm. And so I think the Spokanopy program fits into that really well. I'm curious, what is the percentage of canopy right now in Spokane County? We're trying to get to That's 40. That's a great question. Huh. I think it's in the 20s. Your Yeah, your website says Spokane has an average of 20% canopy coverage. Um, oh, okay. With the highest des- dens- density neighborhoods on the South Hill at almost 40%. That's uh, like Manitou. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Which goes with your redlining. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, it's, mm-hmm. those houses are... The, the neighborhood is more desirable and more mm-hmm. valuable. I mean, uh, uh, big, mature trees, slow traffic, mm-hmm. which is safer for children. You know, there, there's so many things that go around uh, along with um, an urban forest and a healthy urban forest. Yeah. And that's a really easy thing that we can do for our community. For sure. If it's if it's planting trees, uh, you know, that's that's such a no-brainer um <laughs> yeah you know and, and and i'm just so glad that that we can we can partner with the city and and with our residents to do that mm-hmm. yeah. so you guys do have such a fabulous volunteer pool and you guys have throw just great volunteer um events and so what do you attest to your volunteer program just being so successful and being able to get so many people out I think we've had really, really great people in that role over time. Um, but I think that the Lands Council also as an organization has name recognition in our community. I think being formed in 1983 and and for a long time being um, we're just one of the longest standing conservation groups. You know, I think we're yeah. just a, a leader in the region. Um mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I also just feel, think real, I feel really fortunate. Truly, I mean, I, I I think there's so many. I work with other great groups and hear from from the leaders of other groups like the the Spokane Riverkeeper or in Northwest Land Conservancy or the Conservation District. Even that, no one 
you know, gets volunteers like the Lands Council and part, you know, and then I just, I feel so fortunate that so many people want to work with us, Mm -hmm. give their time for that. That's great. Yeah. You guys do a great job. Um, and do you have any volunteer opportunities coming up? I know it's cold outside right now, but (laughs) it's a, it's a little cold outside. Um, probably not any plantings or anything anytime soon, but (laughs) yeah, no, no planting soon. And we just finished up the installation of those, uh, BDAs on Thompson Creek. Um, so things are sort of buttoning up, but, but do check back in the new year. Um, because we, we want to make sure that there are opportunities for people to get involved year round. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it could be, um, snowshoeing on Mount Spokane with a, (laughs) with a school group or something like that. So that sounds, you can, yeah, you can go on our (laughs) website to see volunteer opportunities as they come up. And what is your website? Great question. It is uh, landscouncil.org. So that's L-A-N-D-S-C-O-U-N-C-I-L dot O-R-G. Awesome. Perfect. Good spelling bee. Yeah. (laughs) I was spelling it out in my mind. (laughs) Doing it. Um, So with all of the projects that you guys do, what would you say are some of just like the biggest challenges or setbacks that you frequently see kind of when you're going out to get these projects on the ground? I think our restoration programs have been a really great um, example of sort of adaptive management and, and, and how we've done that over time because it's such a struggle here in eastern Washington, especially compared to western Washington, because it is so dry in the summer. Um, the The survival or mortality, you know, half empty, half full, (laughs) um, (laughs) rates of these trees is so much lower than it is on the west side. So A, it's hard for funders to understand that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've talked to our colleagues here at the Conservation District and tried to share, you know, tips and techniques, like what's, you know, what's the maintenance, what's the best type of watering maintenance post-installation. And, um, you know, I think the best that we can all achieve is around 50% survival after three years on average is you know we've probably got some that are higher than that but keeping those trees alive and restoring a riparian area where it's been you know totally denuded or the or the stream is incised is really difficult because in the summer it's it's drought and the water table is so low Mm -hmm. so there's only so many things you can do to keep those trees alive which is why we've started incorporating bdas in all the riparian restoration because those those series of dams along the stream are supposed to hold sediment back over time, which over time aggrades and sort of can raise the water table and reconnect the floodplain. Or if there are beaver in the area, they might use that, that beaver dam analog as the starting point of a dam and really do the work for us. Uh-huh, <laughs> is right. what we're hoping. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's sort of a way that we've, change that program over time um, to face that challenge, which is water availability in the summer. And, and, you know, water availability is only going to be more and more challenging over time, mm-hmm. um, especially as we see warmer winters, meaning smaller snowpacks or the, the melting of that snow happening sooner in the year, which doesn't leave us with water for the summer, you know. So that's, that's just going to be something that we all – as a community, are looking at and working on. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Um, I'm curious, um, in your opinion, if there is just an area within Spokane County right now that just, you know, needs immediate attention with regards to 
preserving and revitalizing that area? I I looked at that question uh, before we sat down <laughs> and thought, I got the I could the. You don't even know where to start. Yeah, <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere, but everywhere's special. I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think everywhere is in, everywhere is in um, danger. I just think of, that's one of the beautiful things about Spokane is heading 15 minutes in any direction. Um, you're in such a different sort of ecosystem. Yeah. So they're all, so I think they're all really important in, in, for different reasons. But what stands out to me, I think right now is the West Plains area and West Spokane and, and sort of for a, a, a water availability standpoint, um, you know, I think the city of Airway Heights will need is, you know, is, is looking for more water rights and we have to be really careful about giving away any new water rights for our aquifer, uh, especially because, the Spokane Coeur d'Alene area is the hottest, you know, real estate market in the country. There's so many people moving here every mm-hmm. day. And some of those people are moving here because of our pristine aquifer, because of that water source that we have. I think that we really have to um, think critically about protecting that. And in, in, in the West Spokane Plains, that is not connected to the aquifer and so getting water to that region if that region is going to continue to grow is going to be a really big strain not only on the aquifer but as it interacts with the river the the in-stream water availability in the summer i mean so many of us love to recreate on the on the river in the summer Mm -hmm. too um so so that's kind of what's on my mind um and so you so you guys have a a wide range of great projects that you get on the ground you know revitalizing our forests our lands our waters um and i know that you have some organizations that you work closely with and some stakeholders so i'll give you a chance to kind of give a shout out to those um, people that you work closely with on these projects (laughs) yeah um definitely a lot of other uh a lot of other groups we, we work with INLC and the Northwest Land Conservancy mm-hmm. and, the, and the Spokane Riverkeeper. Um, I mentioned we're working with the Kalispell Tribe on a lot of restoration up in Ponderay County right now and um, uh, work with the Forest Service as well. Um, so in terms of education, too, we have, a, we have a lot of different schools that we work with, including On Track Academy as one of the sort of alternative high schools that we work with. So... Cool. Yeah, lots of partners. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and so we, um, you guys are doing great work, and your mission and values to protect the lands, preserve the lands, um, protect our waters. And so, um, a question for our listeners um, is: so, like, a lot of like the Spokane Conservation District, or um, and the Lands Council, and um, the Land Conservancy all have very similar missions and values. And so besides just being like governmental versus nonprofit, what is like the major differences or main differences? I think uh, the um, the differences used to be clearer. And sometimes <laughs> I think a lot of our groups, you know, are working in tandem on, you know, riparian restoration, 
Um, and I think that's such a strength because that there's no lack of work that needs to be done and there's no, and we all need to be doing it. Um, so now I, when I talk to people about this, I think that the, the difference or the niche that the lands council serves is, um, it's like I talked about sort of, it's, it's enhancing our region's capacity to do all of this work. So I think we're different because we're nimble. Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> um, and because we're a 40-year-old nonprofit, we have this organizational capacity really plugged in. So it's not a really big strain for us administratively to do new work because we, we've been doing that for 40 years. You know, that side of it doesn't have to be invented. And, um, and we're able to step up when there's a regional need or step down if there's if there's a better organization to work on that you know if, if the Kootenai Environmental Alliance takes the lead on a project in North Idaho and that makes the most sense mm -hmm. then the Lands Council will write a letter, letter of support you know for that project and if if KEA is overloaded with projects and there's work that needs to be done because uh, the governor of Idaho just released $2 million to do phosphorus reduction projects for Lake Coeur d'Alene right now, which is a real thing that happens, you know. Mm -hmm. The Lands Council will submit an application and say, mm -hmm. you know, if there's a project to be done and there's no one able to do it, we, we can take that on. And I think, so that's, I think, now <laughs> the niche that we fill. Great. Can I ask a question about the, so the, the two, two things I'm hearing about the Conservation District and the Lands Council is that Conservation is government, correct? Is it yes. yes. Mm -hmm. And so in your in the Lands Council's private. Yeah. Is is that being private, is that does it make everything easier or more difficult for you in terms of like red tape? Uh less red tape. Less red tape. Okay. Yeah. And and I don't know if private's the right word. Is, it I've, probably is. Okay. But I, just to be clear, it's not well it's not um it's non profit. Okay. Non governmental. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, so different than uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not we're not consultants, I'd say, but it is it is less red tape. So again, that's we can we can do on the ground work more right. quickly. Gotcha. Yes. Which what which what you mean by being nimble? Yes. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Amanda, thank you so much for sitting down with us. You, the Lands Council, um, I've been admiring your work for many, many years, and um, you guys are doing some great things for our community and for our region here. Um, so for those listening right now that want to get involved and support the Lands Council or maybe do a volunteer project, tell them how they can get a hold of you guys and find more information. Yeah, please visit our website to learn about volunteer opportunities and to donate, um, we have a big year-end appeal right now. Um, we would love for you to join us and, and, and support our work as we bring on this new Climate Justice Program Director position for 2022. So you can do all of that on our website at www.landscouncil.org. Um, you can email at tlc at landscouncil.org. That's TLC for the Lands Council. I love your guys' acronym. <laughs> 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 totally want it. Yeah. Really jealous of <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little TLC. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we always like to end our episodes um, by doing a little bit of a spitfire round just so our listeners can get to know you on a little bit more of a personal level. Okay. So, you down? Yes, I'm <laughs> okay. ready. Okay. All right. Awesome. 
Let's see. So I also, on a side note, heard that you um, have a shop called Parish and Grove. Correct. Okay. So my question is, what is your favorite plant or flower? <laughs> Ooh, favorite. Uh, okay, my favorite flower is a columbine, which is the Colorado State flower. Um, uh, Aquilegia vulgaris is its scientific name, and it is so beautiful. Um, it's not really probably used in uh, like bouquet arrangements very often. <laughs> Um, but there is a native columbine species here in the inland northwest, and it makes a really beautiful oh. landscape plant. Cool. I'm going to have to look that one up. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking up Parish and Grove. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite emoji? <gasps> oh, the little angel one. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm always uh, being very sweet. <laughs> right. <laughs> I need to use that one more. Yeah, yeah I should too. <laughs> Um, what is a food that you can't live without? Oh, butter. Uh, that is a great <laughs> answer. And yes. The, the, the really nice kind. I, I switched and now it's hard to go back when you get fancy butter. Yeah. So what's the, what's the name? Oh, Where do you Kerrygold and I get it at Costco <laughs> and I use it for everything and it's so silly, but it's really good. Uh. Sounds good. I've been craving pancakes, so pancakes mm. with a big slab of butter. I'm sure yeah. I, c- I could have said something more nutritious, but that's that's yeah. my that's my first answer. <laughs> hey, this is where you get to lay it on. on butter the makes it better, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Uh, I was going to say in the ocean, but probably just by the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Any specifics? Oh, you know, I love the Washington coast. I'm actually... Um, go there quite often. I, I, I'm from outside of San Diego, originally grew up there and uh, spent a lot of time. If, if you're familiar with the Washington coast, it's so different than any other coastline. It's just really not developed at all. It's really wild. Mm. It's um, uh, it just got these pine trees that go all the way up to the water and sometimes there's snow on the ground. It's just blows my mind every time I'm out there and I find it really restorative. What's your favorite city on the Washington coast? Um, well, I spend a lot of time in Copalis is, is where I like to go, which is a tiny, tiny, tiny place. Um, Mo Clips. Mm, yeah. It's nearby. I, I, I feel like I, they all sound very familiar. I go to Ocean Shores. It's all north it's of Ocean all Shores. Nor- yeah, yes, yeah, yes. All that little stretch yes. north of Ocean Shores is, is my favorite little part of the coastline. It is beautiful there. Sounds mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, do you have a favorite quote? Oh, no. No? <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite quote? I do, actually. Oh, can I hear um, it? Yeah. Success is not a result of spontaneous combustion. You must set yourself on fire. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a little feisty. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I have a. I only have this quote because it was in my like a running email I used to do. But it was uh, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. That's oh. Steve Prefontaine. He was a runner at Oregon. He died very young. Oh. Yeah. I think I'm trying to think of just things I have memorized. <laughs> right. I don't have anything memorized. That, that would be if I don't. Yeah, that would be tough for me. <laughs> I can only memorize like two quotes, and if it's like a movie, like anybody asks me a movie to do a movie quote, I can't. Like. 
<laughs> I can never remember quotes from movies. It's, I'm terrible at that. Um, but I got that one. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, finish the sentence. Um, on the weekends when I'm not working, you can usually find me. Oh, at the symphony. Oh, cool. If Yeah, um, I am a huge, huge fan of the Spokane Symphony. Just, I... If you if you if you haven't gone to one of their in person shows at the Fox Theater, mm-hmm. um, change that. Get tickets. There's a, probably a oh there's a New Year's Beethoven's Ninth Symphony that they do every New Year's Eve. There's mm-hmm. one coming up in January where the old conductor Eckhart Proy is coming back. I'm a huge fan of the Spokane Symphony. The musicianship is incredible. It's the uh, I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> I did just see the New Year's Eve um, flyer for that. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I think I might have to dip in there. And now you just. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm at the symphony anytime they, mm. they have a show. Awesome. Um, favorite local restaurant? Uh, I love Tony Brown's restaurants, um, which Stella's is, is a great lunch spot. Um, yes. But my favorite restaurant is probably Zona Blanca mm. because I just love seafood. Mm. And I yeah. just want to eat oysters forever, <laughs> live inside the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> love oysters. All right. And the one we ask all of our guests, Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. Woo! <laughs> Beatles had a run this season. They did, yeah. It was Rolling Stones all like season one and two, yep. and now Beatles have really came back. Oh, I feel like Rolling Stones is the cooler answer, <laughs> and I just am not that cool. I love the Beatles. Paul's my favorite. That's also not that cool. George is the cool answer, but... Did you watch Get Back yet? Uh, yeah, I did over Thanksgiving. Mm. I, I like read the whole Beatles anthology when I was a kid. Oh. I really just had a high school crush on Paul McCartney. So That's awesome. <laughs> Great. Well, Amanda, thank you so much again for being here. This was a, such a fun and awesome interview. And listeners, make sure that you go and check out more about the Lands Council at thelandscouncil.org. And make sure you get involved, um, donate, volunteer. Just go check them out. Go learn more. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you. (laughs) Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.